This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hi, everybody. I'm David Lasondak. Welcome to this episode of Body Talk. Today, my guest is physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy, and yoga teacher, Libby Hinesley. And she wrote this wonderful book called Yoga for Bendy People. Libby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So this is a topic that a lot of people are interested in. I myself am interested in because you're talking about bendy people. And we don't mean people that are flexible. You mean people that are hypermobile, right? That's right. Okay. So what's the difference between being flexible and hypermobile? Okay. So, yeah. So the way that I um, describe flexibility versus mobility is basically, I I go along with sort of the convention of how people use these terms in the hypermobility world. They're not always described in the same way. So I always say that, right? Some people use them differently. But when I say flexibility, I mean, what kind of range of motion is available to someone based on their muscular system, the muscle tone, the muscle extensibility, the muscles ability to contract and relax and allow movement and allow movement to be controlled. And um, so that's largely under the control of the nervous system. Um, On the other hand, mobility really refers to what's going on at the joints due to the collagenous connective tissues that surround it. So ligaments, tendons, fascia, joint capsules, the laxity of those tissues that allows for certain amount of mobility to occur at that joint. And it's sometimes the case counterintuitively that when someone has a lot of mobility, thanks to some laxity of their connective tissues, they actually end up having some decreased muscular um, flexibility. And sometimes that can be counterintuitive. Hmm. Is Is that because the muscle doesn't need to work as hard? Um, often the muscles are chronically contracting to try to create some stability. That's kind of, that's the, that's the theory. That's the thought that in the absence of that passive support that we Mm -hmm. ought to be getting from our collagen, we Mm -hmm. um, have to get it from our active supports, the muscles, and they tend to get chronically contracted and often painful and people often end up feeling tight. And that's a common complaint of bendy people that they have a lot of mobility, but they feel tight. Okay. So Right now I can hear several listeners saying, oh, I, I am a bendy person or I know a bendy person. And based on what you just said, would collagen supplements be helpful for that? What are your thoughts? That's a great question. I'd actually love to hear what you think about that. Um, okay. Because I don't know. I don't, I've never seen any evidence that says, yes, taking collagen supplements will help your body make better collagen in a body that has trouble making high quality collagen already. Because when we're talking about um, people with hypermobility syndromes, because there's hypermobility and then there's a hypermobility syndrome, which okay, is another way of, of saying symptomatic hypermobility. Okay where they may, they're going to have joint pain and muscle pain and and a whole slew of other things. That's a genetic difference in collagen, you know, and, and any of us who have um, collagenous connective tissues, we have a certain genetic makeup there that gives it its laxity. And there's a genetic difference that makes those tissues more lax. In other words, there's a difference in the collagen structure and or function that 
creates this whole situation. So I don't actually know if taking collagen supplements really, you know, helps. Now, do I take collagen? Yes, I do. Because <laughs> I figure I can use all the help I can get. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you noticed any subjective differences for taking collagen? Not so much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's more prophylactic. Yes, indeed. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so you wanted my uh, opinion about this. Here's what I know to be true. Uh, that the different sorts of collagens for different parts of the body is marketing. Mm -hmm. Like here's the collagen to take for your cartilage. Here's the cartilage to take yeah. for your ligaments. Yeah, that's marketing. Uh, the important thing is that the collagen be hydrolyzed. If it's not hydrolyzed, it's not bioavailable. Likewise, it needs to be catalyzed with vitamin C mm -hmm. in order to be bioavailable. Yeah. So those are the two things. And it is weight and load dependent. So the formula is 0.2 milligrams for every kilogram of weight. Hmm. And you want to take it with uh, 50 milligrams of vitamin C, or as Keith Barr says from UC Davis, just mix it in some orange juice. If you prefer, drink it down. Hmm. And then you want to be loading your tissues no greater than 45 minutes after you drink that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like you could drink it and in 15 minutes later, be doing your workout, doing your yoga, doing your walking, whatever it is. And you can do that multiple times a day. Okay. But it's the loading the tissues that makes the difference. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. Cause you get all the me mechanotransduction stuff going on. So, yeah. yeah so, so uh, there, that's my prescription for that. I think, I think it would be fascinating to do a study uh, with that formula, it'd be easy to do the control uh, and hypermobile people and, and actually see what kind of results that we get. I would love to see that too. I mean, there's always, there's already a little bit of research that shows despite its differences, the um, connective tissue in hypermobile people, people with EDS um, can certainly show adaptive, positive adaptive changes to loading, to progressive loading. So at least we know that, you know, despite its differences, the, the collagen, the collagenous connective tissues can adapt and become stronger in a bendy person. Okay. So I've got, I've got two questions now. Um, let's, let's go with the first one. So, so you talked about loading that made me think about the gym. Uh, is somebody who is a bendy person, are they better off working with someone who can objectively help them or can they do it on their own? Or is it a combination? What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Kind of depends on what their symptoms are and what their challenges are. I would always recommend if someone's getting into strength training, that they work with someone ideally who's very knowledgeable about hypermobility, because what I see with about a lot of bendy people is they know strength training is important for them. So they get out there and they start to do what they see everyone else doing and it doesn't go as well for them. They tend to have um, more delayed onset muscle soreness than the average oh, person. Okay. Which we and, know is fascial driven. Cool. So that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, they do. And they have in general decreased exercise tolerance. They'll get more fatigue and more soreness and sure. they won't feel good. So it's harder for them to stick with it. And so what so they you said, do, you said there, there tends to be a contractile, uh, a counterintuitive contractile property to the muscles trying to stabilize. Yeah. So 
if you're in that scenario, it seems to me like the the proper warm up might increase that endurance. Is that a fair? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's going to be really important for this person is really slow progression to build up the capacity, to build up the endurance, to tolerate, you know, heavier loads and more, just more volume even of exercise um, because their muscles are starting out fatigued sort of at baseline. They're chronically contracted, they're tired. So they will get quickly over fatigued. And if they think, what I always tell people is if you think you're progressing slowly, slow it down even more. <laughs> and I, I work that. with a personal trainer to mm -hmm. slow me down because in the moment it feels fine. Mm -hmm. And it's just the next couple of days I'll be laid out with a full body, almost like an inflammatory response that people have where um, it really knocks them back for a few days. And that gets to, is that a matter of proprioception? It may be because people have poor proprioception who have hypermobility. Um, and so a lot of times they don't feel what's happening in the moment. And then it's mm -hmm. later when they develop the soreness or they've like, ah, I've, I really tweaked that at yoga practice or whatever it was, but they didn't notice it in the moment. So I think it has to do with that lack of proprioceptive. Yeah. So uh, what what are the drivers in your understanding of that decrease in proprioception uh, for hypermobile people? So a couple things. Um, there's one that's purely mechanical in my mind, and that mm -hmm. is that um, the collagenous connective tissue, I call it floppy. We could, you know, we could okay. talk about it as being more lax, but I, mm -hmm. you know, I think about it as like, there's a floppiness to the connective tissue. And one of connective tissues jobs of many is force transmission mm -hmm. across joints. Right. And if it's floppy, it's not doing that job as well. And when it's not, because it's not as right as easily put under that tension to transmit force and those mechanoreceptors that are within fascia may not be as easily stimulated to tell us what's going on in the body. So we're not getting that input from those tissues um, as quickly or as easily as we otherwise would. So I think that's one piece of it. The other piece is that there's been some interesting research done on brain structure of people with hypermobility. Mm. And one of the differences in brain anatomy is that they tend to have a smaller parietal cortex where the somatosensory um, area oh. is. So they have like quite literally less body mapping real estate in their brain. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. It is. It is. And the other different in uh, difference in brain anatomy that they've been shown to have is a larger and more reactive amygdala, which is the fear center threat mm -hmm. detection area. So mm -hmm. they are poised to have um, more anxiety and just more sympathetic arousal all the time at baseline, which I think also contributes to the muscle tension. My God, this is, this is so much more complex. It is. It's a tangled ball of yarn. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how, all right. So, so what was your journey, Libby? I mean, seriously. Um, yeah, it's that, that, that word's getting overused these days, but, but so you're, you're, first of all, you do yoga, which is not to me a natural 
it's a natural fit for a bendy floppy person, but also mm-hmm. it seems like the thing you can already do pretty well. So did the yoga come before the PT, the PT come after the yoga? How did this all, how did this all come together for you Yeah, personally so and professionally? Sure. I got into yoga in college and, um, and then I just kept taking yoga classes. This was 25 or so years ago. And mm-hmm. then, uh, eventually, you know, in my twenties, I had a lot of pain. I was in pain all over head to toe and I had incredible anxiety. And so I was really using yoga as a tool to help me manage all of that stuff. Sure. It's very I good at that. That's how I got started. Um, yeah. I didn't realize at the time that it wasn't really helping my body stuff because I, I lacked the proprioception. I was really overdoing it and, and mm-hmm. I was probably making all my problems worse. Yeah. You're but like, I, I you were like shampooing your hair with your feet kind of thing going, look at me. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was, you know, and, and it's, it's easy to really be drawn to things that we're naturally considered quote good at Yeah, that feels good. Right. And yeah. um, other students are like, wow, I wish I could do all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so I really got into it um, personally. And then when I moved to Asheville, I uh, started a teacher training in part because I wanted to meet people here and also get more into yoga, learn more about it. This is Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville, North Carolina, which That's is where, where you're I'm based at. at. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And um, that was in 2004. And then I started teaching yoga and I really loved it. I loved um, just learning more about the body. And I had a lot of students, of course, after class who would come up and ask me their quick question about their shoulder, or their hip. And I always tell people, those are never quick questions. No, Don't they're not. Answer. <laughs> if someone gives you a quick answer, run. But um, anyway, so, but I wanted to know, you know, it got me interested. And I also, I was continuing to have chronic pain and injury that was related to my yoga practice. And so I was my own test case in some ways. And I went to PT school and started practicing as a PT about 11 years ago and um, eventually started my own practice in which I treat a lot of yoga people, yoga practitioners, yoga teachers. And I saw that they all had the same list of chronic aches and pains related to their yoga practice that Mm -hmm. I had always had. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I started connecting the dots. I always knew I was hypermobile. I just didn't know that really meant anything. Right. That's just normal for you. Right. And I was noticing all these people I'm seeing clinically uh, complaining of the same stuff I've always dealt with. They are all hypermobile also. And not only do they have the physical stuff, all the classic, they've got the shoulder, their shoulders are shredded up. Basically they have sacroiliac joint pain. Definitely. They have, you know, strains and sprains and all this stuff. They also have anxiety and digestive issues and, um, a propensity for autoimmunity, all these different cluster, you know, things Mm -hmm. that hypermobility syndromes really uh, have. So, so that all got me really investigating all of the hypermobility stuff and pretty much led me to where I am now. I had been teaching teacher trainings for a long time for the past decade or so. And always as an aside, I would talk about hypermobility and how we might deal with that in a yoga setting. But it it took it a while to come front and center for me to say, this is what we need to be talking about. Because in the yoga community, hypermobility is way overrepresented. Well, it's it's something to aspire to, isn't it? It is. It's still presented that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, 
that's not what yoga is about. It's not just how all. it's marketed. It's just it's, how it's marketed. It's yeah. that's right. I like to say that yoga has a branding problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can think of several names I shouldn't say right now, but it's branded right there. You know, you know where. Uh, <laughs> that's um, that's probably one of the biggest losses for me during the last couple of years is the the yoga places that I would go to, and particularly the the one class and the one teacher that I always used to think of as yoga for normal people. Mm-hmm. You know, where we we wore what was comfortable, not what was trendy. And the yoga teacher, uh, phenomenal teacher, and she looked like a normal person. Yeah, you know, not. Yeah, not the branding thing, not the branding thing. Exactly. Um, But you know, I um, how would you how would you change that if you were if you were in charge of that in terms of the yoga having a branding problem? What what would you like to see? Curious. So I would really love to see um, yoga teacher trainings. Perhaps maybe it goes back to teacher training and the quality Mm -hmm. of teacher training and. for teacher trainings to get back to just the simple stuff and maybe practitioners uh, to understand that yoga isn't a performance and it's actually not about these postures at all. They're just tools Mm -hmm. um, because we go so sideways when we start thinking these postures are the end in themselves and then it becomes a performance and we miss the boat entirely on yoga. And it's such a bummer because we need that boat. It's an important, useful. It's, it's an important vehicle for self-exploration. It is, it is. And there's so much um, potential benefit there for so many people. So I'm not sure exactly where it starts. You know, I think yoga teachers, especially new ones, feel a lot of pressure to entertain their students and to be as creative and fancy as they possibly can be and to appear knowledgeable and advanced and all this stuff. And we just need to get back to the simple, simple stuff. That's what's most transformative. And that's what ends up helping the hypermobile practitioner the most as well. Just basic movements, learn to control those movements, you know, build some resiliency for the nervous system, build some motor control and proprioception and boom, like those are the real, that's the gold mine. Uh, yeah. And that, if I can relate it to my manual therapy practice, cause you were asking me about that uh, when we were talking before we started the podcast, but I work very much with slow active movement while I'm applying the manual therapy to give. And I, I do that with everybody, not just, uh, not just hypermobile people, but specifically with them, it gives them a different experience yeah. uh, of, of what is and what isn't and what's too much and what isn't too much. And, and that makes a huge, huge difference. So if you were, if you were listening right now uh, in a yoga practice with a known hyper mobility or tendency towards what, what pointers would you give that person besides buy my book? <laughs> and I mean the best, cause it's a great book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there are a lot of principles in there. Um, slow down. That's the biggest thing. Slow down because if we're moving with this momentum, all this mm-hmm. fast, so, stuff, so no fast vinyasa classes, No, just slow it way down because then you have a chance to notice how you feel and to learn to pick up these more subtle sensations. They're not going to 
the sensations in a bendy person aren't going to show up as easily, right? They sometimes don't feel a thing until they get way out to the end range. And then they, they get hit over the head with this huge sensation and they need to learn to, to slow down, back up and really look for more subtle sensations along the way, start to learn about those. Cause those are the body's very, very quiet cues to, mm-hmm. to stop, right? We don't have the big stop signs. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject something here because this is something I remember from doing yoga in the '80s. And of course, you know how it is when you when you when you're starting something new, you kind of figure that what you're doing that's kind of what it's going to be everywhere you go. But you realize it's not. It might be the hallmark of that teacher. Mm-hmm. But my first yoga teacher, um, which was like every Monday night, kept me sane. But she was she would encourage. And I, I don't see this anymore. Mm-hmm. She would encourage if you were really into the asana, stay there. We're going to move on to this next one. But if you want to stay there, you can just stay there. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't see that anymore. And that was so valuable to me. And I can always go back to when something switched in me. And this was, this was long before I had the career that I have now. But I was in whatever asana it was, and it was just me, my breath, and what I now know was probably my quadratus lumborum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, it was just this space in my breathing and this position that was uncomfortable but necessary. Mm-hmm. And the more I stayed with it and the more I, I would breathe, the more space was coming into that place. Mm-hmm. And it felt good and it felt necessary. I don't know how long I hung out there, but that was, that was a game changer for me. And if we're not making space for those experiences in our classes, I I think we're missing something. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that people, practitioners should be given a lot more freedom and empowerment to really be curious about their experience during movement and during breath and to study these practices as a way in, you know, again, they're not performances. They are tools to study your own experience. And if teachers would just use that language more, I think we'd get, get somewhere and people would benefit more and start to get to know themselves through the practice. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more from Libby Hinesley. Body Talk will return after the break. And now a brief message from me. If you're still listening, I'm guessing you enjoy this show. And if you value this show, I hope you'll consider supporting it any way that you can. One way to do this is to join my Patreon page, which you can do for less than a cup of coffee a month at patreon.com backslash body talk radio. Leaving a positive rating or review wherever you get your podcasts is another huge way to support the show. And those ratings make a bigger impact than you might realize. And last, and I'm sure a lot of you are already doing this, please share the show with your friends, family, colleagues, anybody that you think is appropriate. This podcast is pretty much a one-man band. I created it because it fills a need and I keep doing it because I love it. And if you love it, or even just like it a lot, please support the show in whatever way makes sense for you. And now, 
back to our episode. Hi, welcome back. We're talking with Libby Hinesley, who wrote the book Yoga for Bendy People. And she was giving a, a couple of sine qua nons, uh, if you will. I don't know why I produce, produce? I don't know why I pronounce Latin with a French accent, but there you have it. Uh, in terms of if you're going to do yoga and you are hypermobile, and the first one was slow down. And if you think you're going slow enough, slow down a little bit more. Uh, what's the second? The second one is think smaller movements, smaller movements. So often in yoga, we are encouraged or we maybe misunderstand the point of yoga. Of course we, we do, but we think that the whole point is to go as far as we possibly can in these positions and we don't need to. And for the hypermobile person, it's really beneficial to just go with a smaller amount of movement and explore that first. So explore the mid ranges and I always like to say to people, really get to know what it's like on the way there and on the way back. If you think you're going someplace in a yoga posture, okay. really get interested in what it's like on the way there and on the way back from there. That's most of the movement. So I like to think in terms of movement and not postures in an asana practice. So start with middle ranges and work on getting some control with your movement there before you expand out into larger ranges. Okay. And just pay, pay attention to the beginning and the end and back again. And all the stuff in the middle and, um, you know, explore different degrees of movement. And that becomes a proprioceptive practice in and of itself. If you are used to going hundred percent of the way, whatever you're, you know, is available for you. Well, learn how it feels to go 50% and then 75%, because then you're training yourself to know where your body is in space. So that's proprioceptive training. And sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes external feedback can help. You might have to ask someone, Hey, am I about halfway there? Cause I'm trying to feel that. So mm -hmm. that type of thing. Have you ever seen, I don't even know if they're still performing. They're a, a Japanese movement art duo uh, who go by the name Aiko in coma. No. Oh my God. I saw them just when I was getting my feet wet with this stuff back in the early nineties and they would take like a half an hour to roll over, Whoa! but they would never stop moving. I'm exaggerating slightly, but like, it was so weird to go into this as a theatrical performance. Cause you're kind of hyped up and you're like, Oh my God, will you just move already? And then you start to downregulate and get into their zone and mm -hmm. you start perceiving on their level. It's like, you just took five minutes to move your pinky, but you mm -hmm. never stop moving it. Oh my God, how did you do that? So that's yeah. what that made me think of. Like you can go that small and that slow. That small and that slow. And what people often don't realize is that that is way more challenging, especially for a bendy person than moving fast paced and just flopping back and forth from one end range to the next. That's pretty easy. Momentum is easy. Motor control is hard and that's what we need. And so, um, that's what we can use asana for so brilliantly slow it down explore your middle ranges develop some proprioception some motor control and then go from there mm -hmm. awesome so 
let's take a moment because it's in your book too. And I want to highlight this quote because I love it. But I want to take a moment and talk about self-care because self-care is really big right now. And obviously, of course, there's going to be a different way to do it based on what type of person you are. Uh, if you're a Viking or a temple dancer, as Robert Schleip likes to say. But I love uh, on page 231 where it says, this is not a wrestling match. It's a conversation with your nervous system. And I am going to steal that and use it everywhere, particularly with my patients. So I want to thank you for that. But yeah, I love that. It's not a wrestling match. It's a conversation with your nervous system. And I think that's a lot of people's approach to self-care is let's get in there and mash. And we're not potatoes. Exactly, exactly. And it's really, it's kind of carries with it that whole like no pain, no gain sort of mentality. And it also, I I kind of developed this idea when I used to teach a class, a weekly class at the yoga studio, where I'd bring therapy balls, and we would do self massage on the balls the whole time. And watching people's approaches, I would say all the time, you know, be gentle and use your breath and all this, but they were like in a wrestling match with their bodies approaching their feelings of tightness and pain and discomfort, like they were just going to mash it out. And um, I was trying to help them understand that the whole, this whole body is so much more than mechanics, right? It's like, it's where all of our stuff lives, all of our (laughs) thoughts and feelings, like, and it is under the control of the nervous system. And when we go into the body with movement and certainly with self-care and self-massage in particular, we're really having a conversation with our bodies, i.e. we're having a conversation with the nervous system. We want it to feel safe so that it will change and be more relaxed and not so combative and protective and do all the bracing that it does to try to protect us. So I think sometimes when we approach it, like the wrestling match, we are just reinforcing some dysfunctional um, patterns and habits, and it's just not helpful. Okay. Here's a, here's a question. Given that you, you do have a physical therapy practice and a yoga teaching practice. um, And I've certainly seen this in my clinical practice, but you talked about you know getting getting the nervous system to relax. People become a little less guarded. They're become open to new input. Mm-hmm. Have you found in the last few years people are coming in like really highly strung, like just yeah. as a baseline as opposed to a normal thing? Oh, definitely, absolutely. And you know the fact is that in order for the nervous system to feel safe, it actually has to be safe. You actually have to materially be safe and. And honestly, for a lot of people, that's just hard to come by these days. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that for yourself? Well, I yeah, if we can on, get personal. <laughs> yeah, I really, because I don't feel safe. I mean, you know, we're living in this world that is um, not safe, actually. No, there, and, there are 8,000 things on the CDC website that can kill you. Yeah. So even if life was a little more stable. <laughs> It's not safe, but it just feels particularly unsafe everywhere right now. So it does. It really does. And that is huge for our, you know, physical complaints and how our body's doing pain. It's huge. So for myself, how do I do that? You know, I do a lot of self-care. You know, I, I do a lot on the therapy balls and I focus on the fact that right now for like today, for the next 30 minutes or in the next hour, everything is safe. My home actually is safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm lucky that that's the case. Uh, my neighborhood 
it's relatively safe when I'm on my walk. And Mm -hmm. I am always aware of that relative, relative safety, basically, because that's where I'm putting it now. These days, it's not it's not inherently safe. It's relatively safe. It's safer here than it is in the Ukraine, for example. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and I'm thinking about those things all the time as a way to put in perspective what's happening for me right in the moment. And can I relax right here, right now, knowing that for the next hour, um, I'm pretty safe. Yeah. And that's as, that's as good as I can do. And then, and, and I imagine though, when when you, when you make those compare and contrasts, that allows you to actually cultivate some gratitude that you are in a place that is safer than this place or this other place. Exactly, and it, exactly, and that's a really good place to focus because you know that's going to help us to feel a little bit calmer and more relaxed. Just to to take note of what we are grateful for, and I am so grateful, and I'm going to milk it as for as long as I can, because this life is short, no matter how you slice it. And so I think the, you know, the events of the last few years too, have really brought that into focus. Um, And there's reason for gratitude there too. And how quickly things can change things that you just took for granted. were always going to be there or be available and suddenly not so much. Just gone. That's right. So, um, you know, I think it's a mixed bag. I think that all those things can feel very overwhelming and scary because they are, but then they hopefully also give us a a little bit of ability to shift our perspective and just say, okay, well, it's just time for me to own up to the fact that this life is super short and Mm -hmm. I've got these great kids. They're safe today. Mm-hmm. I hope they're safe at school tomorrow, yeah. et cetera, but we're just going to do our best to make the most of it. And how, um, how many kids do you have? I have two. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So anything, anything else you want to share with the audience before we wind this up, Libby? Well, I think, you know, on the, on the self-care front, I think we would all do really well to approach whatever practices we do, including yoga practice as self-care and, and less as fitness. I mean, I think when we're thinking of yoga, you know, expand your view, yoga practice isn't really designed to be a fitness program. It is really a whole person transformation. It's a tool to help us really be in the world, especially in these crazy times has so, so much potential there. So when we think about approaching it for uh, self-study and nervous system regulation and getting us connected with our spiritual practice and a sense of what really matters in life. Um, so we can really focus on that for what time we have. It is a powerful opportunity. So that's what I would you know, the last little note I would make about, about yoga, because whenever there's a book called yoga for fill in the blank, like my yes. book, right? right. Yoga for <laughs> it's sort of like the big elephant in the room is often what the heck do we mean by yoga? Exactly. Yeah. So um, we need to get more clear about that, I think. Well, that's a wonderful place to leave things. To reiterate, the book is called Yoga for Bendy People, uh, and there'll be links to it and to Libby in the show notes. Libby, thanks for taking time to be with us in the Body Talk audience today. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Okay. We'll see you next time. This is David Lasondak saying, remember, Take care of yourself because you're the only you you have. See you next time on Body Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Body Talk with David Lasondek. I'm David Lasondek, structural integrator, fascist specialist, author, podcaster, all those things. Hey, 
Uh, just a reminder, if you like the show, please support it. Leave a rating, leave a review, become a patron at patreon.com backslash body talk radio. If you want to get in touch with me about the show, you can find me on all the social media platforms. And you can also email me at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. The music that you hear, as always, is by David and the Disasters. See you next time on Body Talk with David Lasondek.